with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Trending Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. I also want to thank each of our sponsors for making this show financially viable. For the first hour of today's show, they are Gold Bullion Development, Crocodile Gold, North Atlantic Resources, Cobra Resources, Brigus Gold, and Palangio Exploration. I want to remind you that uh, we do have a special trial offer, uh, one-time only trial offer for the newsletters of uh, my newsletter as well as the newsletters of my partners, Roger Wiegan and Claudio Bassi. Uh, you can, uh, I'm sorry, and uh, Chan Lin. You can call my assistant, Claudio Bassi, at 718-457-1426. That's 718 718- Four five seven one four two six, and uh, talk to Claudio about the about obtaining uh, one of our uh, uh, trial subscriptions. You can also go to my website at uh, miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com. But actually, the best place to go to access all that I do and my partners do, I think, is jtaylormedia.com. That's j-a-y-taylormedia.com. Without not the triple W's. Go to jtaylormedia.com. You can access this radio show through that website. You can access all three newsletters, videos that I do with CEOs of companies. And we're going to be talking to one of those CEOs in just a moment uh, here on the radio show. But you can vi- you can actually see the discussions, uh, watch and see the people that I've talked to at uh, jtaylormedia.com. Uh, this week, the schedule is very, very full, uh, so there isn't a lot of time for small talk. We're, our two main guests this week are David Morgan. He's well-known uh, for his silver analysis, and John Robino, who uh, co-authored a book with James Turk back in 2004. Uh, and and uh, so John Robino will be with us as well. The book that was authored by John, co-authored by John and James Turk, was called The Coming Dollar Collapse, and that will certainly be part of what we talk about with John, perhaps with David Morgan as well in just a few minutes. Uh, in the last half of today's show, Doug Casey is scheduled to come back on with us again this week, and I am personally planning to visit a beautiful part of Argentina, that being uh, in the province of Salta in northern Argentina, with Doug and a number of other people uh, in the middle of, uh, towards the end of March, actually. Doug describes this area as being like Vail, Colorado at one-tenth the price. So uh, there will be uh, some serious investment discussions at this conference. We'll let Doug talk about more about that in, towards the end of today's show. So we will um, have some very interesting discussions with market analysts. But uh, to address the practical side of things, not only the theoretical, but the practical, how can we apply the theory to our lives and to our investment decisions, we're going to be talking to uh, some very interesting CEOs, uh, CEOs of some very interesting companies, uh, the first one being Dynacor Gold Mines. That's a company that has a profitable gold mining operation in Peru. Uh, and not only is it making money and growing its earnings, but it has what I th- think is a potentially spectacular large-scale copper gold or gold copper discovery. Uh, and then another, and we're going to be talking to John Martineau in just a minute about that company. Uh, then a little bit later, we're going to talk to to Gary Economo. He's the president and CEO of a company called Focus Metals. Focus Metals is interested, uh, or they're not interested, 
they're in the process of outlining a, a graphite mine. And lest you think graphite is something you put in pencils, well, actually it has modern-day applications uh, in the green energy field. So we're going to be talking to Gary about uh, a very pro exciting prospects uh, for his company as well. And in the final hour, we're also going to be talking to Frank Callahan of Barkerville Gold. He's no stranger to this show. Frank's been on a number of times. They have been a sponsor to this show. Barkerville is now producing gold. We're going to ask him when uh, we might expect to see some profits come from Barkerville. And also at the very end of today's show, I have David Wolfen. If you like silver, Avino Silver and Gold is a company I think you're going to want to learn more about. So towards the uh, very end of today's show, David Wolfen will be with us. Well, before we go to our first commercial break, I want to welcome my first guest this week. He is talking to us from Peru. He is John Martineau. He's the president and CEO of a company that was one of my top picks last year and certainly one that me and my subscribers are very happy about. I'm talking about Dynacor Gold Mines traded on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol DNG, over the counter in the U.S. under the symbol DNGDF, and uh, recently trading at just under $2 a share. Um, now, I want to also mention that I recently interviewed Mr. Martin. and again, you can go to jtaylormedia.com to view that. Click on the top button. Uh, that's J video appearances and then click on the window and when you start uh, when the uh, picture starts to move move your cursor over till you get to dynasty uh, dynasty gold uh, mines and then you will be able to view the interview that I had with Mr. Martineau. Well welcome Jean to uh, turn to turning hard times into good times it's really good to have you with me again. Good uh, day uh, Jay it's a pleasure to be with you today from Lima here in Peru. You are in Lima, Peru, and we're getting quite a bit of static, So, uh, but, but I hear you well, and uh, I trust that our listeners will as well. Well, Jean, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about how much gold you produced in 2010, what your expectations are for production in 2011, and more or less if you can give us a range of what your profit margins might be for that production? Well, in 2010, we had the first uh, target of 25,000 ounces of gold for the full year uh, in January 2010, which we revised in uh, April to uh, 28,000 ounces of gold. And finally, we have produced uh, over 33,000 ounces of gold for the full year uh, last year. So it was a very, very good year. And uh, we uh, had in the third quarter, we had a, a gross margin of a two, operation margin of $237. Per ounce, uh, for the fourth year, uh, we will have it in, uh, with the annual report uh, coming out in March. But it should be uh, somewhere uh, around uh, 220, 235, something like this. And our uh, objective for 2011 is to produce between 42 and 45 uh, thousand ounces of gold, and uh, we should have a margin of uh, we. We put a minimum of $210 of margin per ounce. Uh, we should be over that. If we produce 45,000 ounces of gold, we should be somewhere quite uh, over that. So we're pretty comfortable with this. And uh, we'll uh, intend to increase the mill capacity uh, by the end of this year or probably the beginning of next year. Uh, actually, we're running, uh, we have a mill of 165 ton per day, uh, which is going to be increased to 118 in the coming month. And next year, we expect to be able to, uh, by the end of this year, beginning of next year, uh, to go to uh, between 250 and three, uh, 300 tons per day, So, which is quite an important increase here. Yes, and that's, uh, that is very, a very nice increase. And with those kind of margins, I think we, maybe I failed to tell our listeners 
how many shares of stock you have outstanding because this is all relative, of course. They can do the math. They can take your anticipated margins, your anticipated production, and come up with some cash flow for the company. But tell our listeners approximately how many shares of stock you have outstanding. Actually, we have uh, 35 outstanding, and fully diluted, we are at uh, 39.5 million shares, more or less. Okay, so 35 million and 39 fully diluted. So the listeners can can put their pencils to paper and see what kind of share, uh, what kind of uh, per share cash flow you can generate from your operations. Uh, Jean, we only have another minute or two left, but can you give our listeners some sense of what the prospects are for what you call your gold, copper, scarn uh, target that you are starting to explore right now? Well, we identified a, a huge scarn, which is uh, situated in between uh, Las Bambas uh, from Lake Strata, which has a scarn of 1.1 billion tons, and uh, Las Chancas, which is owned by Southern Copper, and uh, 350 million uh, tons of their uh, copper gold scarns. And uh, we identified a scarn uh, there to be planted uh, about uh, 4.2 by 1.5 kilometers uh, in uh, dimension. And we did, uh, we took 1,300 uh, grab and channel samples on the, on the surface of this scarn. And we compared that with the uh, results of other scans around there. And we've got uh, a pretty good uh, copper grade on the surface, which indicate that we may have a, a scan with a mineraliz- an average mineralization of uh, between 0.5 and 1% copper, which is very good, and which is in, uh, in, uh, about in the same range. And all these scans around, uh, you have Las Anlois. Antares was uh, sold uh, recently, which is uh, just uh, pretty close to Las Bambas for $460 million. You have uh, recently Northmount with another scan of, I think it was $560 million for above 500 million tons. And when we compared uh, the, the results we've got on the surface, it's really comparable to these guys. Uh, the, the only difference and the main difference here is just a southern of the scan with this year. We have identified about the 12 uh, high-grade gold veins and uh, when I say high grade, uh, we have up to 24, 25 grams per ton in 10 different places. And uh, the gold grade in the scarn looked uh, higher than the in the, all the other scarns. So we're looking at somewhere being over 0.7 gram per ton, close to 1 gram per ton. And the other scarns, are, uh, the grade is lower than that. And probably uh, where we are, the grade is uh, so high because probably the fee, the feeder was uh, these veins we see we found on the, on the southern part of the scarn. So it's very very interesting here because we're speaking about a copper mineralization and a particular gold mineralization too. All right. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. I think this is a very exciting story. It's one that I'm covering for my subscribers. Uh, it's one that I own shares of myself. Uh, and so, John, we're going to be watching you very carefully and watching uh, the press releases that come out. Uh, your website is what? I'm sorry, you have, Jay. You have a line just you, cut you, out at the end. Okay, uh, John, you have a website. Could you tell our listeners what your website is? Yeah, we have a website, uh, dynacore.com. Uh, it's okay. uh, just uh, overall, actually. Uh, you have quite a lot of information there. But in the coming months, we're going to overall all this uh, website to uh, to actualize that. But the main information okay. is there. All the uh, all the uh, press releases are there, more information. And uh, you can uh, just go on the website, uh, put your name there, and you'll receive all the press releases every time we uh, we release one. 
Excellent. Thank you very much, John. Uh, we are out of time. We'll have to have you on again sometime. Thank you very much. And folks, uh, don't go away because we're going to be talking to Gary Economo. Uh, he is the president of Focus Metals. And yes, most of the companies we talk about are gold exploration companies. But now and then we sneak in another story. And this one is uh, this company is involved with graphite exploration. We're going to talk to Gary in just a moment after the commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by the high risk but high reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of america's next generation of mines a leader in this search is mill rock resources based in anchorage mill rock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the alaska frontier in arizona the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits financing this search are joint venture partners tech valet inmet finross and altius major industry players together the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Mill Rock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to Taylor at miningstocks.com. That's the letter J, Taylor, at miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Probably about 90% or more of our sponsors are gold mining companies or gold or silver exploration companies. But now and then we hit on some other companies with connections to the energy markets. Yes, we've had a couple of uh, uranium companies. We've got one on our list right now, uh, one sponsor to this show, I should say, that's uh, Uranium Energy, uh, probably the next go- the next energy 
the, uh, the next uranium producer in the United States. Uh, we had uh, Amir Adnani on the show before to talk about that. But today we're going to talk about a new kind of energy-related mining company. And rather than oil or gas or uranium, uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about graphite and how this ties into the energy sector. The company I'm talking about is Focus Metals, trades on the Toronto Venture Exchange under uh, the symbol FMS. 57.1 million shares outstanding today, trading at a little over a dollar thirty, dollar thirty-three, I think, the last uh, that I saw. And I'm very pleased to have with me Gary Economo. He is the president and CEO of Focus Metals, and uh, that's a company, as I say, that is really focused uh, on the advancement of major of a major graphite deposit located in northern Quebec. Welcome, Gary, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you very much, Jay. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Uh, we, I remember we, you and I first met up down in the Dominican Republic uh, a year ago or so, and you first told me about Focus Metals, and now uh, things are really coming into focus, aren't they? they so sure are. let, let me just ask you, okay, uh, I'm going to read off um, the, uh, something you say on your website, actually your mission statement. It says, Focus Metals uh, has a mission to develop one of the largest high quality graphite flake properties in Canada, in the province of Quebec, unilaterally develop North America and international markets for our product or develop our mining operations in tandem with a mining partner. All right, fine. Uh, what? Let me ask you, first of all, what are graphite flake properties? Uh, graphite flake, uh, we refer to graphite flake properties as uh, um, just a certain type of graphite. There's many different types of graphite, uh, but the flake graphite is what uh, is what we call technology-grade graphite. This is graphite that is used in technology applications. Uh, by that, I'm referring to, uh, for example, the lithium batteries for the electric vehicles. If you take a look at the makeup of those batteries, there's about 20 times more graphite than there is lithium. So, hmm. and, and, and that graphite in those batteries has to be flake graphite and more importantly it has to be large flake graphite and there's a mm. lot of graphite in this world a lot of flake graphite in this world but there's not a lot of large flake graphite in this world and we have uh, one of the best highest grade high flake uh, large flake graphite deposits in the world not just in Canada okay Okay, well, that's very interesting. Let's get right into it then. What's the name of that property, and where is it in Canada? The property is called uh, Lac Knife. It is uh, located just about 30 kilometers south of uh, Fermont, Quebec, which is near Wabush. Wabush is the home of the Wabush Mines, which is the largest uh, open pit mine, iron ore open pit mine in North America. So we have a tremendous infrastructure already in place. There's two railroads that uh, that uh, run north-south down to the St. Lawrence River, deep sea ports. There's uh, hydro, lots of hydro in the area, uh, only about seven kilometers from our our, uh, our location. We have road access right to the property. So the infrastructure mm. and transportation is all built in. Uh, the, uh, the property is... Uh, uh, is is uh, gone through two uh, feasibility studies over the last 20 years. It almost went into production twice, but pricing of graphite at those times didn't warrant uh, what it didn't make it economically viable. So mm -hmm. um, today, with uh, 
largely graphite uh, prices what they are. I mean, they've gone from $1,200 a ton four or five months ago to $2,200 a ton uh, today, and the prices keep mm. going up. Uh, the mm. uh, we, we expect to be able to... Uh, uh, to be quite profitable in uh, mining this uh, this location. Okay, Gary, so the prices are going up. Why? Because the demand is going up, or is it just like a lot of other commodities these days with a lot of hot money sloshing around, prices are going because of speculation? Which is it? Uh, I, I think it's mainly because of, um, of uh, new applications that are really very demanding for large flake graphite, and there are not too many large flake graphite uh, mines in production. Um, the, mm-hmm. the electric vehicle market uh, is is supposed to be a very large market in the next few years. I mean, there's 265 companies that are developing electric vehicles in China today alone. Uh, so you could imagine, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what what the demand is going to be for that specific industry. There's uh, a large flake graphite that is also uh, going to be used in the new pebble bed reactors as the cooling agent instead of water. Uh, many of these um, uh, small, uh, very efficient pebble bed reactors are going to be built in China and hopefully throughout the U.S. over the next few years. So the demand on large flake graphite is increasing dramatically. All right. So your so your sense is that your property is very unique in terms of the uh, the high quality or the uh, I, the um, high tech applications uh, that you that you uh, are, are in a very enviable position I gather then uh, could you talk to us a little bit about your property how much work's been done on it so far you mentioned it almost went into production but that was some time ago I suppose before there were these high-tech applications for graphite uh, yes it was just at the beginning of these high-tech applications for example uh, if, if we all remember uh, Ballard Power and a company called GraphTech mm-hmm. Ballard Power mm-hmm. uh, searched uh, the world for a good graphite deposit to build uh, their uh, their uh, um, uh, their cells their fuel cell technology and they partnered with uh, Graftech who was going to build the uh, the graphite plates for those fuel cells uh, Graftech mm-hmm. uh, uh, took a partnership role with uh, a company called Mazarin and then Cambior who owned the Lack Knife property at the time and they mm-hmm. invested close to uh, well between all parties uh over $10 million in, in developing the project. The mm-hmm. one key thing I wanted to mention is that, uh, you know, we spoke a little bit about the large flake versus small medium flake and that you need the large flake for the tech applications. But another very, very key aspect of our project is that the concentration of the graphite on our property is probably, the, it's not probably, it is the best known concentration of any graphite deposit in the world. We're sitting at 17%, mm-hmm. whereas most of the other uh, graphite deposits around the world are below 10%, and the, and the majority of them are in the 2 to 3% range. So uh, mm-hmm. from an economics point of view, uh, we have to process only a fraction of graphite, uh, of tons of graphite than our competitors do in order to, to, uh, to come up with a, a ton of 97% graphite, which is you know, commonly used in many applications. And if you go into well, the... A, sorry. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, and if you go into the lithium uh, battery applications, you need to process the graphite to 99.9%. And uh, so we have a, a, a significant cost advantage of, uh, you know, from anyone else out there. 
Have you any idea, you said too, you've had some feasibility work in the past done. Uh, how outdated are those feasibility studies in terms of the cost of production and that sort of thing? Do, can we just, do we, should we just ignore that pretty much and, and wait for new feasibilities, new economic studies, or what? Not really. I mean, we have a very good idea of what we think it's going to be, you know, what the costs are going to be going forward here. Uh, we are in the process right now of, uh, of, uh, of completing a scoping study that will update all those numbers. We just finished a 12-hole drill program. It was a twinning program in order to bring the um, uh, calculation, the resource calculation, to the 43-101 standards. Uh, previous uh, feasibility studies show us having about 8.5 million tons of, uh, of this uh, high-quality uh, graphite, and mm. the strike well, and the strike certainly... is open to the uh, to in depth and to the south. Well, it certainly looks like a very interesting project. I guess we'll have to uh, to keep our eyes on your uh, on your press releases, the news that comes out from time to time. I, I guess you probably have a drill program going now. We just finished the drill program on that property, so uh, uh, now it's just a matter of completing the scoping study, and then we're ready to uh, to uh, to discuss, uh, um, you know, offtake agreements and get this uh, this uh, project into production. Uh, what's your target time horizon here for uh, the scoping study completion? Um, we're looking at about, uh, I would say, uh, eight weeks or so, eight to ten weeks. Wow. Uh, Gary, I notice your shares have gone up from, I don't know, 10, 15 cents or up to $1.50, as high as that. Uh, it seems like that's quite a, quite a rise. It wouldn't be surprising to see the stock level off at some point here, perhaps pull back. What are your thoughts? And have you raised enough money? Do you have enough money in the till? You're going to have to go back and raise some more sometime soon. No, we have uh, we have about three, just over three million dollars in the till, which will take us through all our exploration, all our expenses for this year. Uh, the stock has uh, risen dramatically over the last little while. I, uh, you know, I, I I can't predict the markets and what they'll do. The only thing I could say is that over the, you know, the last couple of weeks, the market is starting to recognize the value of our of our project, and uh, you know, eight million tons over eight million tons. Uh, um, you know, at 17%, at $2,200 a ton, you know, and mm -hmm. once you do the math, it's got a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Well, I guess I, I guess it's a lot of money, and once we see have a better handle on the cost of production and uh, whether the markets are there, I mean, it, I, I hear what you're saying. It looks like they are there. Uh, this is a very exciting story, Gary. I want to thank you very much uh, for coming on our show. Can you tell our listeners where they can track your uh, your progress, I guess your website probably? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the website, www.focusmetals.ca. I'm also always available to answer any questions on, via email or a phone call. All our information co and contact is at, on the website. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, it's really great. It's great to hear a good story. It's an interesting story, something other than gold, uh, maybe black gold, another kind of black gold, if you can, or gray gold, I guess, is the color of graphite. So we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime, Gary. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, folks. Don't go away because we have a silver guru coming up next, David Morgan. He's been really, really well known and I think probably my favorite analyst when it comes to the silver markets. David Morgan will be with us to talk about silver whether silver or gold or both, we're going to talk to David Morgan. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Western Pacific is a gold exploration company focused on finding major world-class deposits in the western United States. Western's Ace in the Hole, a project called Mineral Gulch, lies along trend with the Carlin-style Long Canyon deposit, recently acquired by Frontier Development. Catalysts going forward will be from drill results. One drill campaign is underway at the South Lita Project in Nevada, with permitting underway to drill 33 holes at Mineral Gulch. Western Pacific trades on the Venture Exchange under the ticker WRP. Solid and Gold is focused on the exploration and development of its wholly owned Showindo Gold Project in Peru. The company is currently undertaking the largest exploration program to date on the property and with this, expects to continue increasing its current mineral resource. A preliminary assessment was completed last year, highlighting a very positive and economical project, and a bankable feasibility study is currently underway. Don't miss this great opportunity to embark on an emerging gold production story. Visit www.solidan.com to learn more. Richfield Ventures Corp. is a publicly traded junior mining company on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol RVC. Led by an experienced and dedicated team, Richfield is systematically drilling 25,000 meters of core in 2010 on its Blackwater Gold Project in central British Columbia, where the primary goal is to discover a world-class bulk tonnage gold deposit. With $5 million in treasury and 40 million shares fully diluted, Richfield and its shareholders are poised for a major discovery. Go to richfieldventures.com. CA for further information. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let the snappy opportunity pass by voice america business network the bottom line in business welcome to the human race some kind of love and ride i'll be sliding down i'll be gliding down try not to try too hard You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to Taylor at miningstocks.com. That's the letter J, Taylor, at miningstocks.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me Dave Morgan. He's been on this show before. Dave is very well known uh, in the silver markets, uh, known for his expertise in analyzing silver. I have to tell you, there's nobody that I would that I have uh, hold more credible when it comes to analyzing the silver markets than Dave Morgan. Welcome back, Dave. Cheers. Good to be with you. Good to have you on the show. You're talking to us from uh, out west, out there in uh, Idaho or uh, or Washington or someplace like that. Where, uh, where exactly are you talking to us from? I'm in Washington currently. 
Oh, good. Well, it's uh, it, it, a beautiful part of the country, no doubt about it. Let's uh, get right into the silver discussion. Uh, silver is trading at a little over $30, I believe, today? Correct. Um, so silver or gold, you know, I mean, I, I've been a gold bug, and I, I can remember uh, during the 1970s when both uh, both silver and gold rose very dramatically, I remember one real gold bug telling me that, uh, well, silver was no longer a precious metal. Do you consider silver a precious metal? Well, certainly I do. I mean, silver or gold, I'll hit that question first. I mean, I've advocated both uh, and will continue to do so. Um, depends, you know, where you want to start the clock. But, you know, basically silver has been money more places more often and used more as money in world affairs than gold ever has. And that's a fact, but most people in North America, meaning primarily the United States and Canada, have this perception that only gold is money. I call them gold-centric. They're both money, but really, for international settlement, you're using gold. And so the last standard that was used on a worldwide basis was the gold standard, and I call it a pseudo-gold standard because that was under the Bretton Woods Agreement where the dollar was pegged at uh, $35 an ounce, and nation states were allowed to take their pieces of paper and trade them for gold. And, of course, France was uh, knocking at the gold window in a rather uh, interesting manner, where Nixon was pretty much forced to close the gold window. So is gold money? Yes, it is. Is silver money? It has been in the past. Uh, really, it's circulated as money in the United States, up until 1964 and 1965, uh, the coinage was changed to cupro-nickel. These were copper coins that had nickel plating. So silver has been money. Again, do you want both? Absolutely. I think the older you are, the more you should probably favor the gold market because gold is mm -hmm. more stable, whereas silver is much more volatile. So I would say the younger you are, the more risk you could probably afford. Of course, that's an individual case-by-case -case basis, but generally speaking, and therefore you could probably put a little more in the silver market. But I think it's a mistake to have only gold or only silver. So I would definitely advocate and have that you have uh, both metals depending on what your risk tolerances are and what your investment goals are. Mm -hmm, for sure. Well, Dave, uh, Doug Casey, who's going to be on this show towards the end of today, I, he has often said, uh, I guess he's quoted Aristotle in why gold is money, and I want to just just pass this along to you, and then we can apply it to silver and, and see why silver is money. Uh, Doug says, well, you know, it's gold is money because it's durable. That's why we don't use wheat. It's divisible. That's why we don't use diamonds. It's convenient. That's why we don't use lead. It's consistent. That's why we don't use real estate. Uh, and it's intrinsic value. That's why we don't use paper. Of course, we do use paper now, but that's why the markets haven't chosen paper. Uh, it seems to me that all of those qualities apply to silver as well as they do to gold, with the one possible uh, possibility that gold is more rare, so you don't have to carry as much of it around for value. But would you care to comment on that? Well, I agree. Durable. I mean, that's what I call you know the classic definition, and if you're really uh, intellectually honest. You could actually say platinum and palladium fit that as well, and they do. But in mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a practical sense, silver and gold have been you know classically money from you know time immemorial, at least from what we consider that, meaning recorded history as we know it, which would be the last you know four or five thousand years. I mean, the word for money 
uh, and the word for silver is is uh, the same in the Torah. So, you know, if you believe that Judaism preceded Christianity, and you go to the Torah, what you're going to find is silver is the word for money, not gold. Now, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. So people can argue all day long, but they can't change a fact. Fact is a fact. Now, moving onward, you know, is silver, you know, is gold rarer than silver? In the Earth's surface, absolutely it is. I mean, if you look at how much gold and silver have been mined over, again, recorded history, we have approximately 5 billion ounces of gold and 40 billion ounces of silver. So that's about an 8 to 1 ratio. So out of the Earth's surface, there's like 8 times more silver has been taken out of the Earth than the amount of gold that's been taken out. But as far as what's interesting about silver is because it has a dual purpose. Primarily, it's uh, both money... And it's also an industrial commodity used heavily in high-tech applications. A lot of it's been put into these applications. It's it's uneconomic to retrieve it back out. So the above-ground supply of silver is rather minuscule compared to the above-ground supply of gold. But to be fair, and again, intellectually honest, I mean, that's true of copper, it's true of lead, it's true of zinc, it's true of a lot of the other metals. Uh, They're not you know, hoarded for wealth preservation like gold is. So I'm not going to argue what mm-hmm. gold's function is, but what I would argue is since there is this extra added feature of silver that it's industrial and precious, you're going to see, you know, two dynamics working toward the market uh, sometimes simultaneously. In fact, in the last few years it has been simultaneously. So gold's got an extra factor that you might say that gold really doesn't enjoy, which is some type of industrial demand. No doubt that's one of the reasons, David, that silver is more volatile in price than gold is because of its industrial demand. Uh, that component would, uh, would uh, you know, when the economies are expanding, you'd expect silver perhaps to do better than, uh, than when they're contracting. In fact, I think we saw that immediately after the Lehman Brothers decline. We saw gold for a, for a short period of time behave better than silver, but then uh, since the turnaround, silver has really outperformed gold very, very dramatically. Right. I mean, there's a correlation. I mean, nothing correlates exactly 100%. I mean, gold correlates with gold 100%. Silver and gold are correlated around 84%. So basically, regardless of what kind of inflation, deflation pressures we've seen over the last decade or so, they've pretty much tracked each other. And that's a fact, again. So, you know, this idea that only one works in certain circumstances, the market has said otherwise. Uh, that's, you know, just the way that it is. Again, I think that, uh, you know, people are best served by understanding these markets and not getting too excited. I think if you can take, you know, a deep breath, sit back and get educated, you can probably determine. One thing I'll state with some authority is, you know, history, and that's something that doesn't always give you an advantage going into the future, but it's it's worth looking at. And the last time we had yeah. a big bull run in the precious metals, silver did outperform gold. And also, from the mining stock aspect, since there's so few, few silver mining companies, most of the silver comes as a result of a base metal miner. We saw a P.E. ratio at the top of about a 50 to 1 on a silver stock and about a 35 to 1 in a gold stock. So there's more leverage in silver for lots of reasons. One, that to find a silver mining company is difficult. Two, silver is a smaller market, as you said, Jay. And so these things factor into tops and bottoms. 
And therefore, you know, if you think ahead of the market, so to speak, you probably can apply that. But the problem I see with a lot of silver investors, and I really have to take a deep breath myself before I say this, but it was true in the 70s, and I'm seeing it again now. And this is the greed factor. It seems as if, and this Mm -hmm. is my opinion, this is not a fact, purely my opinion, but I've been in this market for a very long time, as you know, Jay. seems the silver folks are a little more greedy than than even the gold folks. I don't know why that is. I don't know because it's, uh, you know, it's a poor man's uh, gold or what the reasoning is. If there is no reason behind it, there's no logic behind it. It just seems that um, you just get a lot of small, unsophisticated investors in this market near the top, and they expect you know the moon to continue or the, the asset to grow to the moon and continue beyond the moon. And that doesn't happen in any market. Certainly, I think there's more upside to the silver market, but um, that doesn't mean that all markets don't do what they do, meaning that they go up and down, they have to consolidate, they have to digest the gains, there is profit taking along the way and all those things. I think it's important for people to keep that in mind. Well, certainly, I think one of the things I'd like to stress here when we talk about is, you know, the the attributes of gold and silver and what makes them money. The markets have chosen uh, have chosen those metals as money. Uh, Aristotle just observed why that is the case, and those attributes that we just talked about is is the reason. But uh, but again, we want to distinguish between fiat money, which is money by law that's forced on us uh, over the barrel of a gun by government, essentially, and, uh, you know, and, and market-chosen money, which has always been, not always, but there have been a lot of different things that have been used as a medium of exchange, and uh, I know Congressman Ron Paul uh, has talked on this show already about how he would like to introduce legislation that would allow gold and silver to compete with fiat money. How do you think that would come out, David? Well, I think uh, it would have to be really well thought out. I mean, as you know, I'm pretty close to Hugo Salinas Price, and I just came back from London where Mm -hmm. the whole premise of that whole uh, discussion was, you know, using gold and silver, reinstituting them into the marketplace as money. Hugo, I think, has the best alternative for introducing silver as money into into Mexico, and in fact, it's very supportive by the people, even the governors of the uh, states of Mexico. Uh, of course, the central banks aren't too keen on the idea, but uh, some of them are, I suppose, uh, according to what Hugo told me, uh, you know, in discussion. Regardless, um, it has to be well thought out because once you use it as money. Uh, it has a different feature than it has as a commodity. And I don't have time to go into this. It's on my website. I'm sure you could probably do a Google search and find out how um, Hugo's uh, proposal would work. But basically, you set a fiat price for silver in peso terms, and it can't go below that price once that price is set. But the commodity itself could. And although that sounds odd to people that are probably hearing it for the first time, it's actually what takes place during a silver or a gold standard is what happens. Of course, the government stamps a number on the coin, and then when a dime's worth of value, which is uh, far uh, less than a dime, people spend it in circulation and don't think about it think a thing about it, but if the value of that dime becomes greater than 10 cents and the commodity value, then the market takes them quickly out of circulation, and that's Mm -hmm. Gershom's law. So what he's proposing is understanding that and saying that, you know, once you 
set a price that's above the market price, and it functions as money. And if you do it correctly, as he outlines, it would work. Uh, and I actually wrote about that in the latest Morgan Report last month, and also he did a much better job than me. I kind of just did an outline I, I just gave you. Uh, but it's, it's fairly detailed, but it's not really hard to understand. If you read it once or twice, I think you can get the concept rather well. Will it take place or not? I don't know. I'd love to see it, Jay. I think there should be competitive currencies. Uh, that's what people are voting right now. I mean, when people buy uh, silver, it isn't a U.S.-only market. I mean, everyone that's buying it uh, worldwide is saying, I'm going to an alternative currency. And instead of trading, trading my Renembe in for uh, British pounds, I'm trading it for gold or silver. I'm trading my Aussie dollars for silver. I'm trading my Canadian dollars for silver. I'm trading my pesos for silver. I'm trading mm-hmm. my Zimbabwe <laughs> for silver. So it's a currency exchange is what it is. You're basically mm-hmm. saying, I prefer this currency to the other one. And of course, as we both know, over the last 10 years, you couldn't have made a better currency trade than moving from whatever currency you want to name into the gold market. And pretty much the same for silver, although we did have you know, a big uh, downturn in the market during the financial crisis of 08. And I won't you know, state anything but the truth. That is true. But uh, from that point till now, silver went from roughly $9 to over 30 So certainly if you were strong mm. enough to get in the silver market at the bottom or that bottom, uh, you're not unhappy today. No, there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, David, uh, in terms of investing, how should investors uh, go about this? Should they, I think you believe, as do I, that they should build the foundation of their portfolio with the metal. But then what about mining shares? Do you advocate buying uh, silver mining, gold mining shares? Absolutely. In fact, we actually look beyond the silver and gold area, although that's what we focus on primarily. But I've you know, talked about molly and copper, and we actually have a coal company right now, a uh, drilling company, uh, which has done quite well. And this drilling company owns about 20% of a uh, silver junior company that's also a very profitable, good company in Mexico. But... Yes, I teach to put, you know, large, serious money into large, serious companies and to speculate with small amounts of money into smaller companies. And that strategy has worked out very well. In fact, I have a friend in Canada, which you would know quite well, but I won't name him. And he, they have two, basically two portfolios. His wife has a portfolio that's very much my top-tier, mid-tier selections, and his was almost purely speculative. And her portfolio just marched on and, and made gains basically throughout you know the last decade, whereas his was very volatile and did underperformed hers for quite some time. Now, lately it's starting to catch up, and you know there's different times, as you know, Jay. Both of you and I have been in this market for you know decades, and we know that there are certain cycles within the cycle. In other words, we're in a major bull market for commodities. Within that commodity sector, what's the top tier? Well, the precious metals are the top tier of all the commodities, and why is that? Because they are money. And within that, mm-hmm. you get this ebb and flow. I mean, we both could go back and turn back the clock to 2000, and you could buy almost any junior with gold or silver in a name, and as long as they're able to get money, and at that time it was easy for them to get money, those things rose. A lot of them went up ten, tenfold or ten bagger as vernacular mm-hmm. states, and uh, a lot of them didn't really have that much merit. But those days are gone, and now we're in the middle cycle of the market, the way I analyze it, which means those type of companies have gone you know, by the wayside, and now you're looking at companies that basically have either a discovery that's already you know, within a 43-101 qualification, meaning that there's basically a measured indicated resource that's economic or close to it, 
or uh, they're getting you know nearer production or or you know something along those lines. I'm not saying that there aren't some discovery situations out there that are worth looking at. Certainly there are, and there always will be. But that part of the cycle, for the most part, is over with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't uh, didn't say anything to you before the show started, but would there be a name or two that you would like to share with our listeners in terms of um, uh, say silver mining stocks? Sure. Um, you know, a couple, uh, and these are, you know, I mean, everyone listening to the show already knows these, but Silver Wheaton, which is basically a royalty company, has done extremely well. And the way I run the uh, the report is I look at my uh, how I analyze these companies on not only momentum, but a lot of other factors. And every month I tell our subscribers what are the best ones that month. For long-term investment, these are basically buy and hold. Well, Silver Wheaton started just beating the heck out of everything else many, many months ago. And, of course, that's part of my job is to tell people that, you know, if you're going to be in a, you know, put serious money in the company, this is one that you'd want to be in. And Silver Standard actually came off that list uh, quite some time ago. So, in other words, if you follow the work that I do very diligently and you took your money out of Silver Standard and put it in Silver Wheaton when, you know, one replaced the other, uh, you'd be very, very happy because I'm telling you, you know, straight up which ones are doing the best. Another one I like is, is Pan American Silver. It comes to the front. Another one would be uh, Silver Corp. And any of those three. And there's more out mm-hmm. there, of course, and there's several speculations. But uh, as we stated at the beginning of your show, Jay, there aren't a whole lot of silver-only companies, and none of those mm-hmm. are pure silver plays. In other words, there isn't any company that is 100% mining silver only. All of them uh, mine you know, other uh, <coughs> minerals such as lead or zinc or even tin in some cases, nickel sometimes, gold. I mean, there's no such thing as a 100% pure silver mine. Dave, I want to ask you before we run out of time here, because I think it's very, very important for investors to and, and people in general to be aware of, but there's something called backwardation in the uh, commodity markets, and, and the silver market is currently, as I understand it, in a very significant backwardation uh, situation. Can you tell our listeners what that word means, first of all, for those that are maybe new to investing, uh, and certainly in the futures markets, and then secondly, why is it important? Well, backwardation means that the spot month in any commodity is selling for a higher price than the next month out. Or you could generalize it by saying any months further out. But true backwardation, from the way I see it and from my experience, is when today's price for any commodity is greater and significantly greater than the next month. So if we're looking at you know silver for delivery in March, uh, but it's February, and you have to pay a dollar more per ounce today than you could buy it for in March. That's backwardation. Now we're not in the. And that's that's unusual. Yeah. That's unusual, isn't it, David? It's very unusual. That's not the it, norm. What, yeah. What it means is, I mean, common sense dictates what it means, but I'll go over it anyway. What it means is that whomever needs that commodity, whether it be wheat, rice, uh, metal, gasoline, or whatever, needs it now so badly that they're willing to pay the highest price possible to get it right now. And we saw it in the oil market. The oil market's a good example of backwardation. What we saw at one time was that oil was nearly $150 uh, per barrel, and the next month in was $110 per barrel. 
So you're looking at $40 delta or difference between the two, and that's backwardation. That's saying that I have to have oil so badly that I'm willing to pay a $40 premium to get it now. So that's real backwardation. What we have now is a slight backwardation that really, in my book, doesn't count as you know, true backwardation. I want to, you know, I love to stick to facts, as you know, Jay, and so I don't want to discount that if you look at the labor, LIBOR index, L-I-B-O-R, London Interbank Overnight Rate, I mean, you can make a case, yeah, it's slightly there. You could also make the case, and I sent this to our paying members over the weekend, that, you know, if you go out several months, uh, you can buy uh, silver cheaper out a year or two than you can buy it now, but it's very slight. And that, that's standard commodity stuff. I mean, basically, those months trade, you know, by appointment only. There's so few contracts out there. Any new real buying into those months will push them back up into a, can, a, a contango, meaning that they'll cost more in the future than they cost now. So I don't really see where all this backwardation talk is coming from from a real aspect. Um, we could get there, but we really aren't seeing it in any significant way right now. Options expiration takes place, I think it's tomorrow, Jay, it's the 15th, I think it's the 16th. Uh, we see some interesting things, almost every options expiration, especially in the precious metals. I'm kind of waiting for that to come and go and see what takes place. Uh, but it is important to understand what it is. It is important to understand why it exists, and it is important to know what you know real backwardation is. And if you saw spot silver selling for 50 cents to a dollar more than the next month, that is screaming a, a shortage, but it's most likely a temporary shortage, meaning that whoever needs it that badly is just going to buy you know, what they need to satisfy whatever the demand is. And once that demand is satisfied, it's going to go back into contango. So this has happened in the silver market in the past. It probably will happen in the future. But what's taking place right now is hardly significant. All right. So, so in summary, uh, David, what is driving the uh, the silver price now? Is it just is it speculation? Is it just a loss of confidence in fiat money and paper money, or, or what's your sense? Well, you know, Jay, as we both know, there's you know every individual purchase is based on an individual you know thought, but. Generally speaking, I think it's both. I think it's uh, a lot of speculation is in the market right now. I say that based on a great deal of uh, what I call Internet chatter. There's probably more uh, very convoluted uh, logic out there around the silver market right now than I've seen in quite some time. So that's one, speculation. And of course, there's always this constant demand in the industry, but, uh, and that doesn't go away, but it does ebb and flow. And most of that industrial demand doesn't come through the COMEX. It comes through the private contracting mechanism set up through the Silver Users Association. So um, certainly the price is important, and you know all these functions work together. But I'd say it's more speculation at this point than anything. All right, David. We're going. Uh, we're we're out of time. I want you to tell our listeners where they can keep track of your work. What is your website? Well, the best way to get it is just go to themorganreport.com or type in David Morgan Silver into Google or a good search engine. You'll find the website. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, that's all the time we have now, David. Thank you for coming on with us again. We look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future to get caught up on the silver markets. Folks, don't go away. We're going to go to a break here, uh, the top of the hour of commercials, and then we're going to come back with John Rubino. John Rubino is co-author uh, with James Turk 
uh, on a book called The Collapse of the Dollar and How to Profit from It. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Great Panther Silver is a profitable primary silver producer trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol GPR. GPR operates two 100% owned mines in Mexico, has a solid track record of increasing production, and continues to add resources and reserves. GPR has developed an organic growth strategy that will see production increase by more than 65% over the next two years. Great Panther Silver is also generating excitement at its new discovery in Guanajuato and expanding its drill program. Look for GPR on the TSX. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its gold fields project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. Our operating gold mines are in the Northern Territory of Australia. Crocodile Gold plans to produce 100,000 ounces of gold in 2010, increasing to 200,000 ounces of gold in 2011. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometers. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by the business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 